Hello and welcome to For All Mankind, the podcast, a podcast by mums for mums. My name is Pamela and in each episode I will sit down and chat to a mum about motherhood, the ups and downs and everything in between. Today's guest is a mum of two. With over 30 years experience as a primary school teacher, she has recently completed a master's in positive psychology and has co-created the Weaving Wellbeing programme that explores positive psychology and resilience for children. It's Fiona Foreman. Welcome Fiona. Thanks so much. Thanks, Pamela. I'm delighted to be here today. And congratulations on the podcast. It's really brilliant. So well done on it. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. As I said, thrilled to be here. I love to get a chance to talk about well-being and, you know, children, positive psychology, parenting. It's just such an important topic. So yeah, you have the opportunity. <laughs> thank you. Um, so 30 years as a primary school teacher, I always wondered as a kid about the other kids in the class that their parents might have been a primary school teacher and what that must have been like for them. So what type of mum would you say you were? Um, good question. I think the first word that would spring to mind um, is grateful. That might sound strange, but because we, we, we tried for a year before we had Shifra, my daughter, who's 22 now. Um, so we were married three and a half years by the time we had her. So by the time she came along, I was just so grateful and so appreciative to be a mother. And I just never took any of it for granted. And I think that has kind of infused all my parenting since then that I was like, wow, how lucky am I? I know that sounds a bit corny. And of course, they do drive me mad a lot of the time. But I still think that's my core kind of <laughs> tenant of parenthood that, wow, I'm so lucky. You know, I have her and I have Emmett, my, my son now. So from the minute, minute I got her and I had a traumatic birth with her as well, we were separated for a while. So from the time I got her into my arms and got her home, it was like, wow. I'm, I'm living the dream now, you know, it was just fantastic. So I suppose I've always been very grateful, very um, appreciative. And I just really wanted always as a mother to enjoy it, to relax. So I think I am. I asked them myself because I was like, you're going to have to do, give me some hints here. And they were like, oh, your mom, you're quite, you are relaxed, which was nice to know. Yeah. And you let us kind of be ourselves. So I think it's nice that they can say that back to me now at the age that they're at. You know? Yeah, so, exactly. But enjoying it, it was my number one um, and still is. Yeah. Despite all the ups and downs. Which there the was always plenty of, isn't there? Yes. So there are two yes. there are two young adults. Um and like you're saying there, you were grateful for them. And it was it them that inspired you to get into the idea of well being for children? Um, I was always interested as a teacher, I have to say, first and foremost. So I was teaching obviously before I had either of them. And I always knew intuitively as a teacher, most teachers do, that well-being is the most important thing, even though well-being wasn't an actual word um, in the 80s or um, the SPHE curriculum wasn't even out when I started teaching. But I think I always knew intuitively, instinctively that well-being was the most important thing and that it was it underpins all other aspects of children's development. You know, so if you can get the well-being right, you can get the emotions, help them to understand their emotions, look after them, nurture them, help them to build their friendships and their relationships, that other things then come. And of course, the resilience, other things then come as outcomes of that. So the academic is kind of the icing on the cake after that. So I think I always knew that. And then I saw it in my own experience how when you did that for kids, you know, other outcomes came, other positive outcomes came. So then when I had my own kids, I obviously was very interested in doing the same. I also did training as a Montessori teacher early years. So that very much informed my motherhood at an early stage. I made sure they did all the, you know, the sensory stuff and yes. the sand play and the water play and all that kind of stuff, which I, I loved. Yeah. Um, and that very, very, very linked to well-being as well, you know. So, um, yeah, so... I was lucky I was supposed to have that background when I had my children and I had experience of working with kids already and I, I wanted to, to bring it all into my parenting then as well. 
Um, and I've seen firsthand how important it is to do that, you know, so. And um, you talk about resilience and as a parent to a small girl, I suppose you're trying to figure out how to rear them, like what, you know, what to do. And when you are pregnant and when you have a baby, I suppose you're so focused on the immediate and what they need in the thought of them, you know, making friends and everything seems to be so far down the road. But I suppose even now we can start building a foundation. You can, you can start at such an early age. And I think the reassuring thing for parents is that, you know, resilience is, um, it's an ordinary concept. You know, you can actually build resilience and the main concept around building resilience is the relationship you have with your child. So having the strong, positive relationship and giving them that security is the number one factor. Having the caring adult in their life, the one good adult, I'm sure you've heard of that concept, yeah. is what actually builds resilience in your child. So, you know, to relax a little bit and to say, you know what, by by caring for your child, by forming that bond with your child, you're giving them that security and you're straight away starting to build that resilience with all those small positive interactions. Um, you'll always worry, you know, even you're talking about friendships. My son started college <laughs> in September and, you know, the first thing I was asked him when he came home was, had he made any friends? <laughs> you know, so, you you know, you're doing that from the day from, from when they go to play group. Do you know, yeah. that's what you want for them, you know. So you'll always have those little worries, but, you know, you have to trust, you know, trust the process, trust your own instincts and trust that that relationship is the number one factor that yeah. will, will help help them build. And for younger kids, and I suppose in and around the toddler kind of, what can we do to help them develop? Yeah, I love the work of Dr. Daniel Siegel. Um, and I came across the four S's of um, positive attachment in, in, in childhood. So to, to ensure that your child feels th- these four things, uh, the four S's is a nice way to remember them. One is, and it's actually not when you think it's not only for children, all of us need this, but children need it from an early age. So the first S is seen, to make sure your child is seen. It's such a powerful one, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, by seen, I mean um, accepted for who they are. Accept, see your child, allow them to be themselves validate them, accept them, see them, hear them, let them be themselves. I often think when you have your baby, your baby's handed to you and, you know, that's like the ideal baby, isn't it? Because it doesn't have any. Yeah. Well, it does start to show its personality, you know, his or her personality early enough on. But, you know, you may have an idea of what that baby's going to be like. And you know, more often than not, that's not how the baby's going to turn out. And you have to allow see that little child for who they are, not necessarily as who you wanted them to be or who you expected them to be or who you thought they were going to be like or what character traits you thought they were going to have. So number one, to accept them, validate them, let them be themselves, see them, validate them, hear them. So that's the first most important one to be seen. Second one is to be safe. That makes sense, doesn't it? You, yeah. You keep your child safe. Um, you know, I mean, from physical danger, you make sure they feel safe. Um, you know, you're in, in, the, in the environment and it would, which, you know, in terms of minimising any dangers, Third one is soothed, which is a lovely one as well. I think you soothe your child from such an early age, and by doing so, you calm their their um, their stress response. And in doing that, you teach them how to do that themselves. So every time you you know comfort your child, encourage them, uh, help them when they're having you know a strong emotion, you're helping them to soothe themselves. Then that they will have to do at a later stage. And then those three S's add up to the fourth one, which is the feeling of security that you give them. So when when the child is seen and feel safe and feel soothed, they get that feeling of security from which then they can become themselves, they can explore, they can be, they can develop, they can bloom into their own little personalities. So I, I love those four S's. I love, I love sharing them with parents as well because, and again, what I love about them is 
we're doing them instinctively all the time and we don't give ourselves the credit. We're always worrying about what we're not doing. Yeah. Whereas if you think of this morning already, what you did or yesterday, all the little tiny interactions you had with your little girl, you were doing those four things. Yeah. And you weren't even realising, you know, you were just chatting to her, you were making her feel safe or soothing her. So just to bring them, I suppose, more into your your awareness and to realise, you know, all those things, those tiny little micro moments with your child. I I love to say to parents, um, all time is quality time. You worry, you're away from your child, but the little micro moments every day where you're building those four S's all add up and all build their their resilience and build their well-being, you know. So I think it's a a nice model to, to think of, isn't it, for parents? It is. And I suppose the people that have, you know, parents have gone back to work they worry about the time that they're away versus the time they're they're at home you know commuting and everything like that Uh, um and it's quite it is quality over quantity really isn't it it is and as I said even if you're in the morning having your breakfast with your child you know bringing them to school bring them to whatever you have those little micro moments where you're building your relationship and you're and you're making sure your child is seen and heard so I suppose it is very much about being mindful when you're with your child, that that is the little bit of time, even if it's 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there, that you're still there for your child and being present in the moment with your child um, and building building that bond in those little snatched moments, wherever they are, you know. And in relation to well-being within Ireland at the moment for kids, how are we faring? How What's the outlook? Yeah, well, I'm delighted that well-being is starting to really come to the forefront now in education. I'm delighted to be there at the start um, obviously f- from being co-author of the Weaving Wellbeing Programme I-, I did want to, to have it into from my own personal experience to get it into schools I started off in my own class and it is in 60% of schools now which is fantastic um, and the department have you know put it out there now wellbeing as a, as a, a core concept um, in the education system going forward which is great um, having said that it is very much needed because I'm sure you've heard recent statistics that um children are struggling, struggling in terms of their mental health, struggling in terms of anxiety. Anxiety particularly, I've seen such a rise in it from when I would have started teaching 30 years ago. wasn't really a named thing. Whether yeah. it was there, I'm not sure. Whether we just weren't naming it, but I certainly didn't really sense it in the okay. children. Um, so I suppose it's something in the last maybe 10 years, isn't it, that uh, would be on the rise. There are statistics saying a third of Irish of young Irish teenagers would have a mental health disorder with anxiety being number one there. And I would I would definitely have seen those statistics borne out in the last few years of my teaching. So you can actually so, see it kind of growing and developing. Oh, I can. And I can. And that's another reason why I really wanted to study the field and study positive psychology, which is great because there is a field there yeah. to address it, which is great, you know, just to, to look for some answers there or look for some supports, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, it's, there's no easy uh, um, reason for it. You know, there's a few different factors at play, I suppose. Yeah. And what do you think is affecting it? What's increasing it? Um, well, I suppose there's a number of um, factors interacting together. You have to say, first and foremost, genetics plays a role. There's a certain type of child that is sensitive, that is, um, you know, feels more deeply, um, thinks more deeply about things. So there's a certain child maybe who is more susceptible. Um, to anxiety so that's first it has to be taken into account and then of course there's home circumstances as well but then there's lots of other things in the environment that are changing I'm sure you know in the last 10 years I have to say technology yeah. is a massive one um, I love technology myself and unlike anything technology in and of itself is not is neither good nor bad mm-hmm. it's all about how you use it and it's all about the balance and it can be absolutely fantastic for children 
Um, but too much of it is very, very detrimental. And I was delighted to see the World Health Organization coming out this week and saying that they would um, recommend no screen time at all for children under two. Did you, did you see that? Yeah. So, you know, when you see the babies on the phones, you were saying yourself that Alice yeah, she tries has to that attraction. Yeah, you know, and amazing. Even if it's not turned on. So yeah. I'm like, she's clearly just seeing it. Yes. You know, like I would be very conscious never to, like never show her anything on it, but even not to be on it in her presence, yes. to be present with her yeah. when we're together. Yes. But it's like a magnet. Yeah. Like like I just I now it's putting yeah. it out out of sight, out of reach. Yeah, because good. she's getting at that age where she's moving and she can yeah. grab and, and move yeah. towards things. Yes. Yeah. Um so as a like for a parent who might be in that era of where their kids is in like third, fourth, fifth class, mm-hmm. it kind of starts, I suppose from like listening anecdotally, kids get their communion money. Yeah. And that's Get, that's kind buy. of their yeah their yeah. monetary independence that's true yeah and that's where they get money comes yes. and it's iPhones yes they want their iPhones and they want their their Playstations and their yeah. um, Xboxes and again you know balance is the key there and I think I don't think there are specific, uh, specific guidelines as to what's a safe amount because it depends on the child yeah. so again if you have a child who is susceptible to um, you know, is is overthinking or you know is susceptible to feel you know to, to to feel deeply about things. Technology added into that mix then might be the thing that you know causes a bad reaction for that child. You know, because what it does is it causes you know overstimulation to the to the nervous system. You know, okay. the fight or flight response. Some children, I, I do see it myself, that are always always on. They're always stimulated. They're not switching off, um, because of their addiction maybe to games. Or their, you know, social media, again, obviously a massive problem for children in their formative years because they're seeing, as you know yourself, the, the images of, you know, unrealistic perfection yeah. and beauty, which we were talking earlier, even as an adult, yeah. <laughs> affects you. Yeah, and we still have our strong sense of identity. So I'm so glad that I have that. So I'm able to absorb a certain amount that it still affects me. Mm-hmm. But for a child or a young teenager... They don't have their sense of self formed yet. And, you know, to be exposed to all those images is, is very detrimental. Yeah. Again, to a to particular type of child. A certain yeah. child will take it in their stride. So you do, as a parent, you're the one who knows your child. So I would say to you, if you're looking at your child and their relationship with technology is starting to become detrimental, step in then. They do say more than two hours a day is detrimental. Um, a, lot of, a lot of children mightn't be on for more than two hours a, a day, but... The research shows that negative effects start to happen after two hours a day of non-educational use, uh, use of technology. Okay. And again, sleep, yeah. you know, sleep, uh, effect of, on sleep because you're, again, because your nervous system is overstimulated um, and they find it hard to get to sleep because they're excited in that state of, of, of arousal, I suppose, yeah. you know. So we didn't have the research up to five or six years ago and now there is a lot of research showing this. So I, I say to the kids I work with now, look, we didn't have that research before, um, but we do have it now. So we really, really have to use it. Yeah. You know, and parents are the ones, you know, so kind of instill it and encourage to have it. to try and hold the line. Yeah. You know, and some parents are very good at that. And other parents, it's hard if you mm-hmm. have a child. It's great that some schools are, are starting to hold a line on it as well. I think there's they a school are. in Kerry, isn't there? Yeah, actually, it's yeah. Uh, the Blinnerville School Blinnerville in Kerry, school. which is the one near us. Yes, yeah, so um, primary or secondary? Primary. Primary. And they were on the very first to do, to remove phones entirely. Brilliant. Um, And I think once they took a stand on it, yes. um, yeah, it's kind of filtered around the country, it's which great. is amazing. And it's that 
um, in the school environment or even outside? My impre- I think it's both. Yeah. I think the parents had to get involved they, and I think support I heard the that. concepts. So Thought I think it's a total wipeout. I really did. Yeah. Because then the peer, the peer pressure is removed. Exactly. Yeah. And um, like they're time enough to be doing all that in their teens. You yeah. Know? But I say that to the kids I work with and they're, they're, they're laughing, you know, they're saying, oh, no, we're on Instagram and we like to be on it. And, and they all think they're able to handle it. And, and, you know, to be honest, some of them are. Yeah. And some of them aren't. So it's 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 not a, a, an easy kind of a simple solution. And some people would say, you know, for my generation in their 30s that we had like the teen magazines. Mm. But I suppose how I look at that is that, you know, you bought that. It was probably out once a month. Mm-hmm. So you bought it once a month. You consumed mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. in maybe two or three hours and then you, it was done. It was put away. Yes. Um, where now it's two, like you were saying, it's two or three hours per day. Two or three hours per day. It's bomb- you're being bombarded. You're, yeah. It's the volume of messaging. It's and it's every, you know it's the it's the it's the auditory it's the visual it's it, it's just so they're soaking it up aren't they they're like yeah. little sponges yeah exactly and you're you can't be in control either as a parent as to what they are seeing and what they are being exposed to that's the other kind of scary part of it you know yeah so educating them obviously is a big thing you know and helping them to realise themselves you know is that having an effect on you or you know I would work with children and say is that having a bad effect on you now just to you know, include them in that that you're not yeah. the bad guy making the decision. Yeah. But you're like, like, wow, you were, didn't you weren't able to sleep well last night, and you were upset about that, and you know you weren't you're not out playing your football as much as you used to be. So let them join the dots and say, you know, maybe this is something that we can roll back on, or what do you think would be reasonable? You know, rather than yeah, you know, the real tough guy stance exactly. where they rebel against it then anyway. Completely. And I think another thing they said in the WHO was the amount of hours to be spent outside. Yes, that's decreasing, isn't it? Yeah. So much. I was in an inner city school in Dublin a couple of months ago giving a, a teacher talk and the, the teachers were saying that they couldn't get a lot of boys now anymore to play on the football team because they just weren't interested. They wanted just to go home and play on their um, Fortnite game. Yeah. <laughs> Which a lot of boys are very very attached to um, maybe girls as well but in my experience it is boys who love it which is fine in, in balance but when you start to see that that they're dropping off a football team and yeah, that's not wanting to go to training and that they couldn't get a team together I thought that was the first time I heard wow yeah, uh, there is a real sign of the effects I mean my own son I suppose you know grew up not necessarily in the in the midst of it it was just starting to come in and he does love certain games and he does love technology he's doing engineering so graphic design would would have been you know really important part of computer design and everything so you know as I said he would spend a lot of time on on screens but I would always be watching and talk having that conversation and he you know again what they're doing on the screen is so important so he might be creating something or interacting with something rather than you know purely the game or purely the that sense of the the heightened, you know, that stress, you know, that stimulation. Yeah. So again, no no easy answer, but keep a close eye. Yeah. And be aware of those so guidelines. Genetics. We've the tech and screen. Yeah. And what else would be affecting us? Um. Well, again, what I read recently and I was really interested in was the idea of the self esteem movement. I don't know if you've heard of that. Self esteem in and of itself is fantastic. Yeah. And a really really important uh, concept. But the self-esteem movement, which originated in the States, say, around the 80s and 90s, would have started creeping into teaching around then and parenting. And I suppose the message that has come from the self-esteem movement is maybe that children's self-esteem is very fragile and needs to be protected. Mm -hmm. And um, we need to be really, really careful to protect our children from negative emotions. 
uh, because they can't really, if, if they get disappointed or if they, they lose at something, that's going to affect their self-esteem. And that did start to creep into teaching. It wasn't there at the start, but definitely over the last few years it has. It's led to things like, say, um, schools maybe not doing sports days or not giving out medals at sports days. That would be a, a real sign of that movement impacting yeah. education and parenting. Well, really now, positive psychology, um, there's, there's research to say that that is actually detrimental. And there's studies to show that what it's led to is decreased resilience in children. Because I love the idea that children have to learn how to fail safely. Yeah. Um, with us there as parents, as teachers. And when we can give them the opportunity to do that, rather than overprotecting them, they learn how to deal with those feelings. Whereas the overprotection of the feelings, which again is our instinct. Yes, <laughs> so my own instinct yeah. as a mother um, is there. Um, but you have to go a little bit deeper than that and ask yourself, is this a situation where I can actually allow them to experience these emotions and realise I can experience them and I can get through them rather than waiting and you know, there is a link maybe between children who are maybe don't experience them and then maybe hit a big knock maybe yeah. in their teens or even their early 20s. And it's such a shock yeah. because they've, um, they're unfamiliar with those feelings. Is, does that make sense? Completely. It's very much a balance. Yeah, because I mean, you know, when you're listening to you and you can, I can imagine that you would, like your instinct is to protect your child. And that's from like a safety point of view, but also an emotional. Like, yes. I don't want to see Alice sad. I don't want to see, see her cry. Yeah. Like, no. So yes. my instinct would be like, oh, I'll protect Rush her from in, that. Fix. Yeah. Yes. Or just even preempt. Oh, that might upset her. So yes. let's not involve her in yes. that. Yes. Where that really supporting her through or even making her aware of certain emotions before she even gets to that point. That's brilliant. Yeah. Is it kind of where we need to be, yes, isn't it? There's so much is that not to be afraid of any emotions. Yeah. Not to be afraid of them. That our emotions are just information. They're telling us things. I, I mean, I had to walk the walk on that. I, uh, my daughter, when she was 13, 14, she went to the Gale Talk. And uh, she doesn't like me telling the story, but <laughs> I still tell it. And she, we went down to visit her the first weekend and she cried and cried and wanted us to bring her home. And I had to go into the bathroom and cr- have a little cry myself and come back out. And my instinct was, oh my God, should I leave her here? But then a deeper instinct was, if I take her home, what's the message? The message is, you can't cope. You know, I'll be there to fix it all for you. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do that long term. Yeah, exactly. So we didn't take her home. I, I cried all the way home <laughs> from Connemara. And the next week we went down and she did the same again, even though she, I think she'd only one week left. And, you know, and I didn't reassure her. I didn't for one minute say to her you're going to have a great time because I actually didn't think she was Yeah. but the message I wanted her to get was it's not going to be great but you're going to get through it and that will stand to you and that was really really hard really hard really hard and I'd like to say you know now she says mom that was great <laughs> but she still says are you sure to take me back but I think she only says that just you know in terms of laughing at the situation but the year after she was able to go to a ballet camp and, you know, she had a, loads of different, you know, difficult challenges then and, you know, in, 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 you know, through secondary school. And then she went off to Canada a couple of years ago for the whole summer and she was fine. And I do put it down to the fact that she learned that, you know what, I can feel all these things and I can get through them. Yeah. And it was hard for me to allow that. Very, very hard. Yeah, I <laughs> can imagine son. I'd be heartbroken. Heartbroken. And I was. And, and I was doubting myself. So I do say to parents, do you know what? I'm not saying yeah. <laughs> leave your child and be mean to them. 
I'm saying my feeling of knowing my child was that she would be able to get through it. She could cope with it. That she could cope with it. And I wanted to give her that message. And I suppose always say to yourself, what message am I giving here? About yeah. that emotion, you know, and to give them the message as much as possible. Do you know what? And again, to validate it, to empathise, to comfort um, and to say, you could, you're going to get through this, you know. And again, resilience is not about being tough. I love to, to you know, to, to, to clarify that. Um, resilience doesn't mean you don't feel things. Because a friend of mine was saying recently, I'm not resilient at all because of a certain thing that happened. And I said, you are resilient. You're feeling all those things and then you're getting, you're still going out and you're still living your life and you're still going to work. That's resilience. It doesn't mean you don't feel them. It doesn't mean you're numb to them. It doesn't mean you're not affected by them. It means that you allow yourself to feel all those things, but they don't define you. They don't crush you. you you're yeah. able to cope with them. And that's what you want for your children. Exactly, yeah. So you do want them to be able to feel those things and not to be afraid of them. And how would you suggest introducing those negative emotions to kids? Yeah, well, I suppose they're part of life, aren't they? Yeah. You know, the first, you know, when your child gets upset, if they see it, some, and again, it's very age-related as well, isn't it? Developmental, do you know I what I mean? So they don't necessarily have an understanding. But when they start going to play school, they, you know, they understand things about sharing, don't they? And not getting... Yeah. I mean, I was... I saw a friend recently was going to a, par- a birthday party her little boy was there and she had bought a present for her own little boy as well with the best will in the world because she didn't want to bring him shopping for a present for the other child. That's another sign of it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, for him oh, to I, be disappointed. I've, I've definitely been that child. <laughs> like I, I definitely uh, remember as a child buying birthday presents, one for me and one, one for the, the birthday person. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's a nice little, you know, way to introduce the idea that, oh God, you know, it's, you're sad, you know, it's disappointing, you know, you're sad that you're not getting a present and, and so-and-so is getting a present. But, you know, just to validate that, that's part of life that you don't always get. Yeah. Know, so those tiny little moments where you might rush in to try and protect them, but just to be able to say, you know, I, I know how you feel. I yeah. know how you feel that's hard, but, you know, you'll be OK. And then with coping with these feelings, mm. What can we do? I think the biggest thing is naming. Have you heard of name it to tame it? So name it to tame it is brilliant um, as early as possible. Obviously, a young child, you name it for them. And as children get older, because, you know, there's there's a psychological process going on that when you name an emotion, you, you bring your more reasonable part of your brain back into play, which is not being used when an, uh, it's an, called an amygdala hijack, um, where your amygdala takes over and your high emotion is is is, is kind of controlling the brain. So name it to tame it, you bring in the other part of your brain and you start to, to calm your emotional response. So to, to teach children that, you know, but before they're able to do that, to name it, I can, I can see you look like you're very angry, seems like you're very sad, you look very disappointed. That's That was very scary to name it, you know, and then just to listen, you know, how are you feeling? Why did that happen? So just to have that curiosity mm-hmm. and to have that for them to have that curiosity as well and then to accept it. You know, say it's OK. That's OK to be sad. And straight away, that that's, you know, if you do it to yourself even. Yeah. Uh, you'll see that it helps to calm you down because sometimes it's the secondary reaction because the child doesn't want to be sad or doesn't want to be angry or doesn't want to be disappointed and doesn't and rejecting the feeling. Whereas if you can say, wow, you're, that's disappointing and it's OK to be disappointed okay or god you got really angry there yeah that's okay to get angry 
A lot of children are afraid of anger for various reasons. They don't feel that they should be getting angry. Okay. So yeah, that's okay. It's, it's all about how they learn to express it then. Yeah. You know, in positive ways. So some of those emotions there that you're talking about, they're very, um, I suppose you can see them physically. Mm-hmm. So you were talking earlier about anxiety within mm. kids. So how would you, and I've seen people say, oh, my kid is, a, is an anxious kid mm. or has anxiety. Mm-hmm. How would you even... I suppose now maybe it's just I haven't seen it but how would you mm. pick up on early signs of that for a Well again child? for younger children it sometimes can be physical the, the pains in okay. the tummy or the headaches and again going back to that uh, sensitive child who overthinks maybe thinks a lot is sensitive to feelings but again to normalise it you know so if you do have a child with anxiety I do work with a lot of children with anxiety and one of the first things to do is to be able to talk about it you know so to be able to say oh there, there's your little worry again coming up there that's interesting why do you think that came up normalise accept it it's okay it's okay to worry about that just shows you that you you care a lot you're worried about so and so that's because you care a lot you know to kind of use it as a little strength there yeah or it's because you think a lot about things you know so just that they wouldn't worry about being worried. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> because it's the worry about being worried that brings it to a different level, so that they can actually relax a little bit and feel a sense of relief. That okay, I'm I'm a type of person who worries because really, if you're a worrier, you're probably always going to be a worrier. That seems to be the way it goes, doesn't it? Yeah, that, and for children as well to realise, oh, you know, I do worry a lot about things, but that's okay. That means that's I, who I am. think a lot about things. I care a lot about things. Um, I'm, I'm sensitive to things um, but this is what I can do so yeah. that it doesn't become um, I don't get stuck in the worry I suppose and that's again at a certain age they can become much more um, able to talk about it and to talk about what they can do about it and give them tools That's that's as a teacher that's my big thing to give them their tools for their worry but before you do that as a parent you're trying to um, just reassure them that that's okay and yeah. uh, you know, to to um, to help them feel that that's okay to to be like that and to you know to manage it. And something as well that you would have in the program is the compassionate self talk phrases. Mm-hmm. That's something I've been tapping in a lot too with um, the kids I work with. I, well, I I've come across the power of self compassion recently. So um, and again, it's a great antidote to this whole thing of perfection that's out there or the idealized image. You know, so straight away to tap into what children are saying to themselves. And obviously when your child's very small, you know, you can't do that. But what you're saying to them then starts to become their own little internal voice. So as as early as possible, if you start giving them those little phrases like, oh, that's fine. Everybody makes mistakes. You don't have to be perfect. It's okay to get angry. Uh, You don't have to be like everybody else. So all those little ways to reassure your child that you know, not to be, you know, comparing themselves to others. Easier said than done. Yeah. But, you know, and then when they get to a stage where that starts to kick in, I think it's around seven, eight that they start to really notice. Maybe it's earlier, but in my experience, seven to eight, they start to notice and to compare themselves to others, you know, and to, you know, to, to make sure they have those little phrases. I, I don't need to compare myself to anybody else. Uh, I don't need to be perfect. I would have these up in my uh, classroom. And before they would leave, I would say, pick pick a phrase to say to yourself. So I don't need to compare myself to anybody else. I don't have to be perfect. Um, my best is good enough. Um, I would steer away from the I'm amazing because um, I would actually have the phrase, um, I don't have to be amazing. 
as an antidote okay. to that, which yeah. I find has working very, very well. Because for a certain child, I know we tell our children they're amazing all the time and we do. They are amazing a lot of the time, but they're not always amazing. And sometimes they feel they have to be amazing and it's a bit too much pressure on them. Nobody's amazing all the time. Yeah. So to be able to say to them, do you know what? You don't have to be amazing. You know, you're amazing a lot of the time, but you, you, you mess up. You make mistakes. You, you, you do mean things. You do bad things. We all do. You don't have to be amazing. It's a great relief yeah. <laughs> to them. And a lot of them do choose that, you know, to in, in their in their artwork or their their writing when I'm encouraging that that kind of particular um topic covering it, you know. So just yeah. for parents to be to be aware of it, just to keep saying that you don't you don't have to be perfect, you know, and you don't have to be amazing because you know a lot of the time it's the children pre- pressurizing themselves. It seems to be, yeah. You know, it doesn't come from parents. Um, they do pick it up from somewhere, you know. So yeah. we, do, we do have to counteract it. So and again, kind of bringing it back to social media, that if there is these images yeah. of perfection yes. and, you know, even outside of social media yes. that you see, I suppose, people that they would idolise looking, yes. whether it's a sports star exactly. or, you know, all different yes. aspects of life exactly. that people cannot exactly. find their idol in, that they're seeing their level of perfection or how they perceive that to be perfection. Exactly. And how how are they ever going to measure up to that? Yeah, if they're not, you know, so for them to be aware of, you know, I'm perfectly imperfect is what one little girl came up with, which was great. Do you know what it's I mean? Gorgeous. It's so cute. You know, so they they tune into it. But I think the earlier you can start sending those messages, the better, because they are bombarded with, yeah. with those messages uh, about the perfect life, the perfect social life, the perfect, you know, image. All those things are there. So we have to counteract them and say, Do you know, what? no, they're not the actual important things. You know, the important things are. You know, the, the getting on with people or the, you know, the enjoying your life or, you know, working hard, all those other things that they're actually what will actually bring you. Yeah. The, the, that level of positivity. So, Fiona, there are a lot of the negative emotions that we feel. Mm. So how can we encourage and enhance the feeling of these happy, positive emotions? Mm. So it's great. I think positivity is a, a lovely word, isn't it? And yeah. Um, what I love about positive psychology is it breaks positivity down into its all its different components, the different emotions. So if I asked you to name 10 negative emotions, it might be easy for you. But if I asked you to name 10 positive, it mightn't be as easy because we're not as tuned into it on that level. True. So I love to break positivity down so that people actually in a concrete way. So when we're talking about positivity, we're talking about love, joy, kindness, uh, awe, inspiration humor enjoyment all those things so um and research shows that when we talk about resilience that having a high level of positivity and positive emotions in your daily life actually buffers you against the negative emotions which i loved learning about obviously as a teacher and as a parent because the negative emotions are going to come and the negative events are going to come we might not be able to control them but we can create and make sure we create and savor as much positivity as we can for our kids and that's what i mean about the the little micro moments uh, where you're nurturing the relationship with your child to bring in the, you know, just to even tap into the idea of we're going to have, you know, a bit of fun here, a bit of enjoyment, a bit of a laugh. Um, we're going to, you know, feel the the joy of this moment and, and just to be mindful of it because it's not a luxury, I suppose. The, those little moments of positivity are not a luxury, they're a necessity. Yeah. And the research shows that, that they buffer. You know, so I just as a teacher, that was fantastic for me because I can't control a lot of, say, the 
situations that the children might have. But mm-hmm. what I can do is create a lot of positivity in my own classroom and in my own home. And what would you do to do that? Is that like true play? Yeah, playing, uh, creativity, using a lot of music, giving kids free choice and things, um, just telling jokes, having a laugh. Um, we do music. It's very simple things, you know, and the, and the children will tell you, like, for example, music breaks. When I taught in the classroom, we would have music breaks where the children would write down their favourite song and I'd pull them out of the hat at certain times during the day and play them and they would dance or any all those little micro moments where you, you can relax and enjoy and have a bit of fun. Um, now with the groups I work with, every Wednesday they're allowed to pick a song and it's amazing. You know, they start on the Monday talking about what song they might pick and what they might, and then they mightn't pick that, they might pick a different one. And, you know, it, that little sense of, of um, con- control, you know, that little sense of choice yeah. as well is very important. And then they do play it and talk about it and in the group or maybe dance to it. So there's so many ways you can games, you know, there's so much play, you know, play, as you said yourself, ways to just enhance that positivity. And whereas before I would have thought as a teacher, wow, oh God, I've got work to be doing here. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, if I do that, it just creates such a nice atmosphere. And it just, as I said, the other outcomes flow from that anyway, you know. Yeah, and there is support there that say that the well-being, the better the well-being, the better the academic performance. That's so true. So the, there's outcomes, like if you focus on well-being, the other outcomes come anyway. Yeah. The academic achievement, the resilience, the relationships, the, you know, the higher quality of school life. So well-being to me is the foundation yeah. uh, of everything. And as I said, I knew it intuitively, but to know the research now that shows that that, that, that is the fact is, is great, isn't it? Great yeah. to be able to tell parents that. Because even the 25, 30 years since I would have been in primary school, I supposed to be that long. It seems, the curriculum seems to have really developed. I mean, I remember probably like painting and Play-Doh, yeah. yes. maybe up until maybe first class yeah. and then it got very academic yes. very fast it's true isn't it you know we did languages and stuff you know yeah. so yeah sometimes you put the cart before the horse I think, yeah don't we the play um, left very early yeah and they're saying now that really all those kind of play activities and you know uh, the ashter program is in now in schools so for juniors for infants and um, we don't have infants in our school so i'm not 100 percent familiar with it but it is a play-based curriculum so that is great that is there yeah. in primary schools now. Uh, but again, as they get older, there's a lot of subjects. There's a lot of curricular pressure, even on teachers. So that's why I love yeah. to be able to spread the message that, yeah. you know what, don't get too bogged down and all that stuff. You will do it. It will happen. But if you, you have to focus on the emotional well-being first and then the child, because a, a stressed child, an anxious child, a worried child can't really learn anyway. So yeah. it's common sense, isn't it? It that's, is. You yeah. look after that first. They're consumed with other thoughts. Exactly, exactly. They're not absorbing, I suppose, what, yes. we, what we're hoping that what they'll absorb. And absorb. Yeah, And for parents to know that as well, not to take it. I suppose that's one thing I would say to parents. Like, I think parenting has become a little bit more intense since I was a parent. There's an intensity about it. So I would say, you know, don't take it so seriously. Enjoy it. Yeah. Bring that positivity to it. You know, you're not a perfect parent. Your child's not a perfect child. Just enjoy it for what it is <laughs> it's, it's messy it's complicated you just enjoy all those little moments of positivity along the way and create them as much as possible and don't and when I talk about self-compassion for kids for parents as well like parents are so hard on themselves you know so to realize you're doing your best you're we're all muddling along in a certain way aren't we but yeah to shine a bit of positivity in there as much as possible not to you know ignore or suppress the negativity you know that's 
you know, that's, I think, a good way to think about it. So, Fiona, we're at that time of the episode where I have to ask you three questions. Oh, yes. So what would you tell your pregnant self? I suppose what I would say is I was so thrilled to be pregnant anyway, having waited a year or having been trying for a year that I did actually enjoy every minute. No, I didn't enjoy every minute because I was sick for some of it, but I appreciated it and um, I really valued it. It's such a short time. It seems so long, doesn't it? When you're it does when in, you're pregnant. In the, in the midst of it. Yeah. But I would say just really, really slow it down as much as possible. Enjoy it. Don't be wait, wishing it over because it's over so fast. And, you know, and be, you know, be kind to yourself. Rest, relax and enjoy it as much as possible. And what is the one product you couldn't live without? I was thinking about that as well. And I think I'd have to admit that it is eyeliner. <laughs> Sounds very frivolous. <laughs> I'm a little bit addicted to eyeliner. I'm always searching for the perfect one, this much proof one, which probably isn't working today. But um, yeah, my quest continues. So I do love eyeliner. Yeah. And what would be your magic moment? I've had so many magic moments along the way. I'm so lucky, you know, as I said, I'm on that journey 22 years now, nearly 23. But looking back over them all, I think what straight away came to mind was the day when I had Emmett that day, my husband went back to John Abate where I live and collected Shifra and my mother. My mother's passed on now, but at the time she lived near us and she was looking after Shifra and he brought them in. That moment where Shifra and Emmett met for the first time and my mom was there as well. It still makes me feel emotional because I just was able to realise it was a beautiful day in June and it was sunny and I just remember thinking, wow, I have everything I need right here. Um, and you know pinch myself how lucky am I it was really magic and you know have to remind myself of that as well when they're driving me mad a lot of the time but you know that sense of the family yeah being I know there's different types of families but for me I was so lucky that I really felt felt that closeness and my mum being there as well was very very special yeah so it's very much etched in my memory that and a beautiful memory to have beautiful yeah 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 I still can see her looking at him and putting her little hands out to him and you know yeah so it's just so lovely to have that memory um Fiona thanks so much for coming in thanks and for so sharing um the well-being because the sooner I think we can oh, instill it so, into yeah. our children I really think so the better and as I said I could talk all day as you probably tell <laughs> and if anyone's looking for more information on this I suppose the best thing they could do is email me fiona.forman f-o-r-m-a-n at gmail.com I don't have my website as yet um, the Weaving Wellbeing does have its own website from outside the box learning resources. Um, I'm on Twitter, <laughs> Fiona Wellbeing. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I'll have my own website soon, just have that time to get it sorted. So, Fiona, thanks so much for that. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for coming in. But thank you for downloading this episode of For All Mankind. If you've enjoyed it, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you'd like to send me a message, please email forallmankind at gmail.com or find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And I'll see you in the next episode of the podcast.